It's the Eclectic Monk, Season 4. Can you believe we've made it this far? Stand by, here comes your host, the Eclectic Monk. Hey everyone, welcome to the Eclectic Monk, Season 4. Here we go. Pretty amazing. I can't believe you guys have been sticking with me this long, but if you're still around, thanks. I appreciate all nine of you. I really do. In this episode, I uh, I want to help you if you are collecting albums. A lot of people have discovered over the last few years that uh, collecting vinyl records is is a great hobby. People have discovered that you know they just sound better. They're more fun. They got better artwork. There's just everything about it is fun, and you get that opportunity to go look for records and go dig through crates and crates of used records at the back of an old record store looking for those prizes, those gems. But I realize a lot of people don't know what they're looking for. And so this year, I kind of decided one of the things I want to do is a a continuous uh, effort is to give you some records, some essential albums. If you are collecting vinyl albums, I'm going to give you some essential albums that you need to have. And I'm going to do it uh, by kind of decade or genre or type or whatever. Uh, and in this episode, I want to take you to one of my particular favorite types of music, favorite streams, if you will, of, uh, of rock music, which is the Laurel Canyon, California sound. It came out of the the mid to late 60s into the uh, early to mid 70s. There was this huge wave of fantastic music that came out of uh, the Laurel Canyon area, which is uh, kind of a suburb around Los Angeles where all the the hippies ended up, anybody who had money ended up living in Laurel Canyon. A lot of musicians ended up living in Laurel Canyon. And so it became the epicenter for this really incredible kind of music, which really for a while was everything that you heard on the radio. In this episode, I want to give you five essential albums, five records. If you find these records, buy them, add them to your collection. You're going to want these albums. They're all fantastic music uh, and give you a little bit of history behind each one of them. And uh, I'm going to do it kind of chronologically, and, uh, and then I'm going to tie it up for you at the end. So stick with me. Here are five Laurel Canyon slash California sound albums that every record collector needs to have. So the first album you, you need to have, this is from 1965. It's kind of, I believe, the really the beginning of this Laurel Canyon sound, we'll call it. It's the Mamas and the Papas, uh, their debut album, If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears. It's got Monday, Monday. It's got Straight Shooter. And of course, it's got the, the great hit, California Dreaming. And... Uh, the Mamas and the Papas were a really, really interesting band. 
they were um, well they weren't a band they were just a vocal group really although John Phillips did play guitar and was the main writer for the group uh, they came out of the New York folk scene in 1964 they had kind of met and they headed down to the Virgin Islands and worked for a while to get their sound together uh, to begin with John Phillips did not think that Cass Elliot or Mama Cass the the big girl was uh, a good fit. He didn't think she looked good on stage, and he wasn't sure her voice was right. Uh, but as it turned out, she added an element to the harmonies that was just unmistakable and fantastic. So they go down to the Virgin Islands. They uh, come up with their, their sound. They come back. They end up in Los Angeles and uh, get signed with Dunhill Records, thanks to Richie Havens, who was one of the great folk artists of all time. And they put out this album. Now they only put out four, well, well, they put out five albums, but the fifth one, uh, People Like Us, is that contractual obligation album uh, where they're not ever really all four of them singing together and it's kind of a kind of a weird record. Uh, they put out four albums before their interpersonal relationships pretty much exploded everything. And uh, that happened with a lot of uh, a lot of people in the 60s. I don't know why. Hmm. Anyway, uh, but in 1965, they release this record, If You Can Believe Your Eyes and Ears. I think it's the best album they ever put out. Uh, their second one, which is just called The Mamas and the Papas, is also a really good record. Uh, the other two, uh, The Mamas and Papas Deliver, and then The Papas and the Mamas, are decent albums. Anything that you find, if you find a Mamas and Papas album, go ahead and buy it. Uh, they will, I guarantee you one side of that album is going to be really good. Uh, the side two, especially on their later records, is uh, tends to be really weak. But the, the first side is always strong. That's where they've got all the radio songs and, and everything on it. But that first album is just a priceless piece of art. It is fantastic. And it launched this, this wonderful sound uh, that would be known as the Laurel Canyon sound. It's warm, it's friendly. Again, there's all this wonderful harmony, and the songwriting itself is very personal. Uh, John Phillips was a fantastic writer, and he was writing songs about his own struggles and his own uh, personal life. California Dreamin' is written while he's sitting in New York trying to come up with uh, some reason to leave his wife, Michelle, and go to L.A. because the winners in New York were just so miserable. It's a real song, and uh, that's what it's about. So this is an album you need to have for your collection, The Mamas and the Papas, if you can believe your eyes and ears. forward a couple of uh, years up to 1969. In 1969, Crosby, Stills, and Nash released their first album. It's simply called Crosby, Stills, and Nash. 
These are the underachievers of the music industry, by the way. They put out one album in the 60s, 1969. They put out one album as Crosby, Stills, and Nash in the 70s. I'm not counting the Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young album. Uh, and then they put out one in the 80s, and I think they put out one in the 90s that nobody listened to. And um, that's pretty much it. They, uh, they didn't actually put out a lot of music to be as great as they were. They uh, had real problems with egos and cocaine. So just to be frank, that's what happened. They uh, got into serious drugs, and um, that band was, was troubled. But this first album, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, it, the picture is just the three guys sitting on a bench in front of an, an old shed or something. Uh, it doesn't look like much on the outside, but when you put it on your turntable, it is amazing. This is an amazing record. Stephen Stills, of course, had been an uh, integral part of Buffalo Springfield, but by 68, Buffalo Springfield had collapsed under the weight of its collective ego. Uh, David Crosby had been a founding member of the Birds, but by late 68, he had been fired from the Birds because he was difficult to work with. And uh, Graham Nash had been a part of the Hollies. He was English, and uh, he was frustrated with the direction they were going. They were going much more popish, and he was interested in going a little bit different direction. And so he had left the Hollies, and they came together in, in 1969 and formed this wonderful group, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, recorded this album. You can tell the connection with the Mamas and the Papas in the harmonies. The vocal harmonies on this record are absolutely fantastic. I mean, they're, I would say this may be the most uh, beautiful vocally harmonic record ever made. And so you've got to, um, you got to listen to it to believe it. Check this album out. If you see it, buy it. Of course, always make sure your vinyl looks good. If the cover is trashed, but the vinyl is good and you can get this one for three or four bucks, it's a steal. I think I bought mine for $5 out of a bargain bin because the cover doesn't look good, but the, the record itself is in great shape. Um, and when I was rebuilding my album collection, this is one that was on the top of my want list. I wouldn't even say that. This was a need for me. This is just one of my favorite records of all time and definitely a record you need to have in your collection. Again, uh, CSN, which was the album that came out uh, in the 70s, is a good record. In fact, it's a great record. Daylight Again, that came out in the 80s, is barely a Crosby, Stills, and Nash album because David Crosby's cocaine habit and uh, had jail time had uh, really put a problem for him. He was barely on that record. It's an interesting story. I'll tell it sometime. And, of course, Deja Vu from 1970, where they added Neil Young, uh, I don't think Neil added anything to them except a couple of cool Neil Young songs to the album. Uh, and that record is great. I mean, it's a good record, but it is not nearly as as fantastic as this first one from 1969. This is the one. If you have nothing else, this is the album that you need in your collection. And the night falls 
So you can't talk about the Laurel Canyon, California sound without talking about Linda Ronstadt. Uh, again, she was a, a seminal part of that movement, singing with the Stone Ponies in the late 60s and then uh, as a solo artist uh, in the you know, early 70s through the 80s into the 90s, actually. She was very prolific. Um, in 1974, she had moved to Asylum Records. Her new label was Asylum. In fact, she had put out an album in 73 on Asylum, uh, which was the label created by David Geffen. And that's a story in and of itself. I'm not going to tell you that story today, but uh, it's interesting. Uh, but she owed Columbia, her original label, an album. And far from the typical contractual obligation album, which so many bands put out where you go into the studio and you just throw something together or, or take things that were recorded in other sessions and piece them together and call it a record. Uh, she went in and created what is uh, considered by many people to be the very finest thing she ever did, an album called Heart Like a Wheel. Um, it is a stunningly beautiful record. Everything about this record is great. Uh, it was uh, went to number one on the country charts. It was number one on the Billboard charts. Uh, it was country music album of the year in 1975. Uh, even though it was not really a country album, it went on there because she uh, did a cover of uh, a Hank Williams song. Um, Linda Ronstadt, really interesting musician, really interesting artist. She did not write anything. She was never a songwriter. Uh, she interpreted other people's songs, uh, but she did it in a way that nobody else could, could touch. She just, I think, has one of the great voices, great female voices of all time. And I know for, for the purist out there, you're going to say, well, what about Joni Mitchell? Joni Mitchell was, again, very important in this California sound uh, era. And I like Joni Mitchell. I like her music a lot, but I don't find her nearly as accessible as Linda Ronstadt. She did not have nearly the commercial success that Linda Ronstadt had. And I think Linda Ronstadt is really important uh, for some other reasons, which I'll explain later on. But so uh, this album, Heart Like a Wheel, is a great record. You need this album. Uh, and the truth is, when I'm out digging in crates, looking at records, there's a lot of Linda Ronstadt albums out there. Uh, and anything that you buy, uh, any Linda Ronstadt album that you get, again, is going to be a good record. I don't think she put out a bad record until uh, maybe some of the stuff in the, the later 80s when she was, uh, like everybody else, trying to reinterpret herself with uh, drum machines and synthesizers uh, and uh, failed pretty miserably, I think. But, you know, some people like it. Uh, but... Anything she put out between 1969 and 1977-78 was incredible. And you need to uh, you need some Linda Ronstadt in your album collection, I promise you. It's easy to find. Uh, and this one in particular, Heart Like a Wheel. If you find this record, buy this record. It is fantastic. There's not a bad track on it. Uh, and it runs the gamut. I think it's one of the interesting things that happened. Uh, again, people realized that they were free to dabble in different genres. And so on this record, you have uh, some cool R&B. You know, You're No Good 
one of the big hits for her is very much an R&B song. Uh, and then she's covering, uh, you know, Hank Williams and, and these other uh, folkish songs and stuff. It, the album runs the whole gamut of musical styles as only Linda Ronstadt could do. And it is just a fantastic record. You need Heart Like a Wheel on your shelf. I promise you, you buy this record, you will enjoy listening to it over and over again as much as I do. I'm sitting down by the highway Down by that highway side Everybody's going somewhere Riding just as fast as they can ride well, I guess they got a lot Should their lives are justified? Pray to God for me, babe. He can let me slide. Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown is one of my my favorite singer songwriters of all time, and again was a pivotal part of the Laurel Canyon sound in that era of music. 1976. He puts out The Pretender, which would probably be one of his most commercially successful records. It's a fantastic album. It's actually not my favorite Jackson Brown album. My favorite Jackson Brown album is Late for the Sky, which came out in 1974 before The Pretender. It was his uh, third solo album. And uh, I love that record. It's a great record. If you see it, buy it. I would say if you find anything that Jackson Brown did, you should grab it. Uh, even his 80s stuff is is good, uh, but the stuff that he put out in the 70s is great. And The Pretender, I think, is that Jackson Brown album, along with Running on Empty, which is his live album, which is kind of unique, uh, is the two most well-known records that he put out. You should have at least one of them. And I would say The Pretender is the one that you should get just because the songwriting is so great on this record. Jackson Brown, you know, while you don't have the harmonies that you had uh, with Crosby, Stills, and Nash and the Mamas and the Papas, what you do have with Jackson Brown is the songwriting, that very personal. I mean, when, when you listen to the lyrics that he's writing, you understand what he's talking about and you feel you feel what he feels when he's singing these songs. The Pretender is just a great, great record. Uh, Bright Baby Blues, which I played you a little snippet of. Fantastic song. The title track, The Pretender, maybe the greatest Jackson Brown song of all time. Some people would argue that. Um, and again, this is an album you absolutely have to have in your collection. It's interesting, by the mid-70s, uh, that California scene was beginning to change. Music was changing. Of course, disco had started to happen, and uh, there was a lot of things going on. But uh, these great California Laurel Canyon artists weren't done uh, putting out some great music. And The Pretender from Jackson Brown is an album that you absolutely have to have. Um I love Jackson Brown, and I love this record, so buy it. You need this one.
So I'm going to close out with probably the most commercially successful band to come out of the uh, L.A. area, out of the Laurel Canyon, California sound, uh, which, of course, is the Eagles. And in 1976, the Eagles put out their fantastic album, Hotel California. The Eagles put out a lot of great music, and, and this was actually, I think, their fifth or sixth album that they put out. It was uh, They only put out a couple after this, actually, and the band was starting to break up. Bernie Leadon, uh, one of the founding members of the band, had left uh, after uh, the previous albums, and Joe Walsh, who, again, one of my favorite guitarists and songwriters of all time, stepped in and takes over on, on guitar, so he replaces Bernie Leadon. The last album that Randy Meisner is going to be playing with the Eagles uh, as the bassist and uh, high vocalist. He'll be replaced by Timothy Schmidt on the next album, uh, The Long Run. Uh, and so this is kind of one of those pivotal turning points for the Eagles, but what an incredible album. Again, if you're, I'll be honest, you don't see a lot of Eagles albums out there. Uh, in the wild, I call it, when you're out, you know, going to the bargain bins anyway. You can, you'll find them, you know, in the, the $20, $25 bins, but you don't find a lot of them in the $5 bins. That doesn't happen much. I think I paid 15 for my copy of Hotel California. Uh, the only other Eagles album I actually have is their Greatest Hits album, which is one of the greatest, greatest hits albums of all time. It's out there. You see a lot of them. Uh, if you get that, I feel like I probably have... All the Eagles I need, although the completest in me itches to uh, get their every album and have them because I, I do like the Eagles. I really like their first album, just called Eagles. Great, great record. Uh, but nothing they did touches Hotel California. It's a it's a stunning album. Uh, again, you've got the incredible vocal harmonies that you come to expect that that are kind of the signature of the sound. Uh, you have this very very personal writing. In fact. Uh, there is a speculation that this is a concept album all about the California music scene. It is about the Laurel Canyon scene. The Hotel California is uh, Asylum Records, basically, and David Geffen and that whole thing that was going on. Um, you can read it that way, and, and it starts to make sense. Uh, but what a fantastic record. You have to have a copy of Hotel California. If you are collecting vinyl... This is a record you must have. Again, there is not a bad song on this record. And I particularly like Side 2 more than Side 1, although all the hits are on Side 1. Uh, Hotel California, Life in the Fast Lane, New Kid in Town. That's the beginning of the album. You don't get much stronger than that. But on the flip side, uh, I find those songs, uh, Victim of Love, The Last Resort, Pretty Maids All in a Row, some of my favorite Eagle songs of all time. So you have to have Hotel California by the Eagles. And there's a progression. If you look at this, you see from the Mamas and the Papas with, if you can believe your, your eyes and ears, from 1965. They, they introduce this California sound and this California idea, uh, California dreaming on that album. And then 
69, Crosby, Stills, and Nash come along uh, from the wreckage of their uh, previous careers, put together what is called one of the first super groups, and, uh, and man, what a group they were, and they put out this beautiful record. Linda Ronstadt is there all along from about 1969. She's with the Stone Pony, so she's she's floating there. And then in 1974, she crashes through as one of the great all-time performers uh, and, and important figures in the in the scene. Jackson Brown, he's there early on too. From I think his first album came out in '73. It's called Jackson Brown. It's a fantastic record, uh, and so he's there. Uh, he actually played with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band for a while before he uh, got his own record deal. And in fact, the story is David Geffen wanted to sign him to Atlantic Records. And Lou Adler of Atlanta Records said, we don't need another singer-songwriter. Geffen was so determined to sign him that that's why he started Asylum Records. Jackson Brown was the very first artist to sign on Asylum Records with David Geffen. And uh, he was there because David Geffen believed in Jackson Brown that much that he started a label for him. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there's the Eagles, who uh, everybody knows at least five Eagles songs. If you hear them on the radio, you know them. You to tap your toe. What an important band. And, uh, and here's the cool connection with the whole thing. So starting with the Eagles, if you look at the Eagles, the Eagles will tell you uh, in fact, their first big hit, Take It Easy, written by Glenn Frey, who was part of the Eagles, with Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown and Glenn Frey wrote that song together. And uh, I've, there's an interview with Don Henley and Glenn Frey, who said uh, at one point in time, they're living in Laurel Canyon. They're living in this, in like a, somebody's garage, and they have the upstairs room, and Jackson Brown has the room downstairs. And they'll say they learned how to write songs listening to Jackson Brown underneath them, working on his song crafting, writing and playing the same song over and over again till he got the rhythms right, till he got the lyrics just right, till he got it perfect. And uh, they'll say Jackson Brown, uh, who was a good friend of the Eagles, they were all living around, they were all partying and living together. Um, he taught them how to write songs. Linda Ronstadt. Very important, like I said. If it weren't for Linda Ronstadt, the Eagles would not exist. She put out an album in 1972 called Linda Ronstadt. It wasn't her first album, uh, but it was the first one that was called just Linda Ronstadt. On that album, as a session musician, she has a drummer named Don Henley and a guitarist named Glenn Fry. And then on other tracks, she had a multi-instrumentalist named Bernie Leadon. Uh, and then after she released that album... Uh, she went on tour and she used those guys as her backup band to tour that album. When they came off the road from that tour, they realized that those, they had a very unique sound and had something going. And so they formed the Eagles. So Linda Ronstadt put the Eagles together. Without her, those three guys may never have met. And without those three guys, you would not have the Eagles that you have today. Really cool thing, too. On that album... She records uh, a song called Rock Me on the Water, which was written by Jackson Brown and released on his very first album. Um, I like, I might like her version better because she really has a better voice than Jackson Brown. I hate to say that, but it's true. And she's cuter, but, um, or was in 1972. <clears throat> anyway, um, there's that connection. If you go back to, from that first album of Jackson Brown, uh, 
if you look at the liner notes on there, you will see that on one track, uh, he has backup vocalists named David Crosby and Graham Nash, who are singing on a Jackson Brown song. So there's this connectivity back to Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And the story goes that back in 1968, Stephen Stills and David Crosby were just punking around because they both had no band at the time. Uh, they were working on some stuff. And they're at uh, Cass Elliott, Mama Cass's house in Laurel Canyon. And she introduced them to this English guy named Graham Nash, who was in the States. And uh, they sat down and in Mama Cass's house in Laurel Canyon for the very first time, Crosby, Stills, and Nash sang together and realized that they had an incredible harmony. And, um, of course, they went on to form Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So connectivity from the mamas and the papas to the eagles they all were connected not only physically but musically and spiritually as well just some of my favorite music of all time other artists from this genre that you should check out uh, of course james taylor comes out of that movement uh joni mitchell as i mentioned before is fantastic neil young you can't have uh this without neil young bands like poco came out of this this era uh, there were just so many bands that, you know, to highlight them all would be would be impossible. Uh, but these five albums, if you're just collecting albums and you, you want to know which albums do I need, you need, if I can, if you can believe your eyes and ears by the Mamas and the Papas, you need that one. You need Crosby, Stills and Nash by Crosby, Stills and Nash. You need Heart Like a Wheel by Linda Ronstadt. You need The Pretender by Jackson Brown. And you need Hotel California by the Eagles. You will not go wrong with any of those purchases, no matter how much it costs, uh, up to 20, 25 bucks. I wouldn't go more than 25, and that would be Hotel California. The rest of them you should be able to find uh, pretty reasonable in the discount bins, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, there you go. I hope this was helpful. If it was, let me know. Send me an email. The Eclectic Monk at mail.com. Not Gmail, just mail. The Eclectic Monk at mail.com. Shoot me an email. Let me know if this helped you uh, and if you uh, come up with some great finds yourself or have some interesting ideas for other albums that you think people should have. Let me know that as well. I would enjoy doing that. Uh, and again, season four is on its way. One last thing, uh, I am very excited about uh, in June, I have a short story that's going to come out. Uh, Worldstone Press will be releasing the Summer of Science Fiction and Fantasy, Volume 3. It's a short story anthology, and yours truly has a story in that anthology. When uh, more details come, I will let you know. But if you could buy the book, it would help me, and it help my friends at Worldstone Press who have bought my story. Anyway, cool stuff. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Eclectic Monk again. And uh, until we meet again, travel well, enjoy the journey, and never doubt that there is a God who loves you. And he loves rock and roll too. I'm pretty sure of that. Peace. Until we meet again. Hey, you've been wasting your time listening to The Eclectic Monk Podcast, and we appreciate it. Again, if you have feedback, please let us know. The Eclectic Monk at mail.com. 
Be sure to share this podcast with those around you. You can irritate them too. Thanks.